0: This morning, if you will, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 as we continue in our study through the Sermon on the Mount. By the way, uh, last Sunday, Jim Root preached in my place because we were homebound. Uh, and I appreciate, Jim, your, your gift and your giftedness and your sharing that with us today. A great message, uh, a clear message of the gospel, and I'm grateful for that. Today, we're returning back to where we were. I'm sure that there is a break in continuity, but a week ago or two weeks ago when we were sharing through this study, we talked about the three pillars of faith uh, in the believer's life and in the, in the life of those disciples who were Jewish believers at that time. And uh, that is through the giving of alms, prayer, and fasting and in that study we skipped over intentionally the the what's called the model prayer the lord's prayer and today i want to come back and talk to you about prayer i've tried to figure out exactly how to start because usually what i've got to do or what i have to do is to convince you to listen to to this message because this is something that's important people who don't realize maybe this isn't true of everyone but how do you let people know who don't realize something's important that it's important to listen about this this is not one of those one of those subjects i believe every person in here understands the importance and the value of prayer in our lives it's not a matter of, of knowing being aware of it our problem is that we just don't do it. Uh, someone described uh, the Christian the way, uh, a Christian in prayer, in the same way that there is a sailor and his pump. The only time it's used is when the boat's leaky. Sometimes prayer is just a go-to defense mechanism. I tried everything I can, God. Now I'm coming to you. And that's a misunderstanding of of prayer that we have. And because of it, many of us, as we are looking at living the kingdom life in a non-kingdom life world, that we are missing the power source. How we do it because we neglect to pray. I know all of us believe in prayer. I know all of us even practice prayer. But until our prayer life goes beyond that, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, or good bread, good meat, good God, let's eat. Till we can move beyond that, we're not going to have the power in living the kingdom life that we'd like to have. So Jesus wants us to Uh, understand the importance of prayer and he includes it here in this sermon but i do want to tell you one of the reasons why i find that interesting of course jesus would say that prayer is important i mean he's jesus but have you noticed how he didn't just teach how important prayer was but how he practiced it i want to suggest to you if you read through the four gospels sometime Just to see what Jesus is doing throughout his daytime. Uh, he, He wasn't always out evangelizing. That's important. But he wasn't always out evangelizing. He wasn't always out fellowshipping. He wasn't even always teaching his disciples. Here's how you do this. One, two, three, four. What you find Jesus doing more, I believe, than anything else. Is you find him praying. He, uh, he prayed at several times during the day. In fact, it tells us in Scripture that it was his custom to go out and pray. He prayed in the morning. He prayed in the evening. He would go to the garden. He would go to the mountain, and he would pray. He would get alone and he would pray. And I've always wondered, why did he need to do that? He was God, wasn't he? Isn't he? Jesus is God. Why is it necessary for God to go and spend time talking to God? I've I've come up with two reasons. One is because while he was in this world, he set aside his godness, if you will. The privileges of his godness. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that. He, He laid that aside and he considered that the fact that he was god something that he couldn't hold on to and so he released that and that made him then dependent upon the holy spirit in his life as he worked and ministered his ministry so he was constantly with god so that he could have direction and understanding from the holy spirit it's the way you and i operate also in the kingdom it's the way we operate also we can't do the kingdom life without the Holy Spirit doing it through us. And so that's the second reason why Jesus, I think, prayed so often, so intense, so, um, so regular, if you will, was because he wanted to set an example for us in the way that we should live our lives. So listen to some of these verses. I want to share with you some verses that will help you to understand why this is so important. Luke chapter 6, verse 12 says, It came to pass in those days he went up to a mountain to pray and he continued all night in prayer to God. And you know what he did when he came down off that mountain in Luke chapter 6? He came down and he selected his disciples. You see, he didn't just hang out a poster on the wall that said, sign up here if you're interested in becoming one of the 12. Try out next Thursday. He spent time with God in prayer to have the wisdom to know who to to select. And I want you to know that one of those ones that he selected was a man named Judas. Isn't that intriguing? Judas was selected to be part of the, uh, of the, the group of disciples. God knew what what judas was about jesus knew what jesus what judas was about but god said choose him because through him he's going to play an important role in the telling of the story of the gospel so jesus goes up and he prays all night you ever done that boy that's hard to do uh, i've i've been in prayer meetings that have lasted some of them upwards of 10 minutes. Jesus prayed all night. And this wasn't the only place where Jesus prayed this. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, says that in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight. I guess Jesus had times when he couldn't sleep. Anybody have... Sleep issues, you don't have to raise your hand. Have you ever had times where you just couldn't sleep at night? And I I know that I've gone through that and I thought, God, why can't I sleep? I've got a big day tomorrow, I've got this and I've got that. Why can't I sleep? And I remember on one occasion having this thought, have you ever thought that you're not I'm not letting you sleep because I want you to get up and pray? In the morning, Jesus gets up early, not because he couldn't sleep, but so that he could pray. And he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And then he goes out from that in Mark chapter 1, and he ministers to the people of uh, uh, of, of Galilee, uh, on the shore of Galilee, where his headquarters was, in Capernaum and he, he does an amazing job in one day in one day because of the prayer that he offered on, uh, early that morning luke chapter 11 verse 1 which is the beginning of the parallel to what we're going to study luke 11 1 says that it came to pass that while he was in a certain place praying that he ceased and then one of his disciples looked at him and said lord teach us to pray just like john taught his disciples john the baptist and then he taught them saying our father who art in heaven and and the the rest of that of that prayer but i believe that his disciples could see in jesus that there was a difference in this man a spiritual difference I'm not sure how much of it at this point in time they understood it was because he was the son of God. But at this point in time, they said, he's got something we don't have. And I believe that they were convinced that what it was, was that he had a life of prayer. And so they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Notice the question wasn't teach us how to pray. It was to teach us to to pray first, to pray, make prayer a high priority in our lives like it is in yours Matthew chapter 17 Matthew chapter 17 Jesus has a has an encounter and sends his disciples out and they went out and this young boy is brought to his disciples and they tried to heal him and they couldn't heal him and they ask him they're going to come to him in verse 19 and they're going to say Jesus why couldn't we cast him cast the, the devils out why couldn't? Why were we unable to cast the demons out? Jesus said to them, "Because of your unbelief." The reason you couldn't do this, you didn't have the belief and the faith that comes through prayer. If you just had faith as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, "Move from here to there," and it will move. This is one of the most misquoted scriptures. In all the Bible. Misapplied scriptures. If after you've sought God in prayer. And he says to you. Tell the mountain to move. It'll move. That just doesn't mean. "Hmm, I'd like to have myself a new car. I'm going to claim a new car. And it'll, it'll happen. It won't. Probably won't. But he says. It'll move from here to there. And nothing. Will be impossible. For you. But then he says something that's very important. He says, however, this kind, this kind of life doesn't go out except by prayer and fasting. (laughs) Then in Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writes these instructions with regards to prayer. And I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation because I love the way it says it. It says, don't worry about anything but pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace which can exceed anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. And then Paul also wrote to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. The instruction is pray without ceasing. Do you think prayer is important to God? Do you think prayer is important to living kingdom life? It's not just important, it's absolutely essential. It's the power source behind all of that. And so this morning, I want us to take a look at what Jesus taught his disciples about prayer in this Sermon on the Mount. And here's why. Prayer is the secret for the power to live the kingdom life. In this non-kingdom world. This is the key. It's not a matter of doing more. That's what we do when we think that I just need to have a change in my life. I know what I'll do. I'll do more stuff. I'll get more involved. I'll be more active. I'll go to church. Those are noble thoughts and those are good things. But that's not the source of power. Power comes through prayer and that's why Jesus teaches it. So today we're going to look at verses 9 through verse verse 15 as we look at the kingdom's power source. You ready? Look at Matthew chapter 9, our 6 verse 9. You're all familiar with this, by the way. You've recited it, you've remembered it since you were little kids. You, many of you may have grown up in a church that recited it together every Sunday. Here's what Jesus is saying, in this manner. Pray this way, in this manner. Therefore, by, I, I just I, just because it comes in there, and I got to take an Arabic while well, it's there. In this manner, talking about how it's done, not the exact words. Jesus, just a couple of verses before this, warned with regards to prayer don't get involved in vain repetitions (coughs) in studying something memorizing something and memorizing your prayer life don't get don't don't do that that's what the pharisees do that's what the people who want to be seen by people do they want to be to impress you with strange and mighty words that they have Uh, and, and the more you can't understand what the prayer is saying the more spiritual the prayer must be Jesus is saying don't fall for that instead do this simple little prayer pray this our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Some of your versions are going to end there in verse 13, in the middle of verse 13, depending on how what version you have. But some of the older versions include the... the uh, the statement that for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever it was it was uh, not in many of the older manuscripts that were found which were used for newer versions in translating he says for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen now i want to stop there and we'll come back to our reading in just a moment um This is called a lot of things. It's called the Lord's Prayer. It's called a child's prayer. It's called the model prayer. But here's what I I, I want you to remember this. I believe it should be called the disciples' prayer. Because Jesus is teaching this to his disciples. Remember in the beginning of chapter 5, Jesus saw the multitude, he saw his disciples, and the multitude, and he went up on a mountain. When he was seated, the disciples came up, came around him. They, they, they gathered around Jesus as he taught this. And there were, of course, the multitudes that also came and were around, but Jesus is teaching this to his disciples, his followers. I want you to understand this is a prayer for the followers of Jesus. If you are not a follower of Jesus, it's still good to pray. It's just not going to have the same impact as if you're, you're a believer. Because it's, this is a lesson that's given to the believers. You'll understand perhaps more as I go along. Uh, so I'm going to look at this disciples prayer break it down a little bit and you can almost just kind of follow along in your bible uh the simple outline that needs to be a part of this but as a believer these are some key things we need to understand when we're praying in order for our lives to be empowered to live the kingdom life in a non-kingdom world here's how what you need to do in praying first of all Pray like you're part of the family. <laughs> our Father. Now that that has a couple of important connotations. First of all, the word "our." That means it's more than about you. Boy, if we could ever get this into our heads, how it would change the way we pray and the way that we live. There is a God, and you're not him. You're part of a family. The way that you live your life has an effect on me, and I'm not even there. How you carry about your witness in the world affects the way that I'm able to carry about mine in the world. Do you see that? and vice versa. How I live affects you. We are part of the same family. Now, I've, I grew up in a family, and I had a family when I grew up, and I still got one. And I will say this about a family. I love my family, but my family ain't perfect. And you know how I know that? Because I'm part of And I'm not perfect. And we sometimes get crossways with each other. We sometimes have differences of opinions. We sometimes have different preferences. In my family, if you want to see a good show, come and watch us while we're trying to decide where we're going to go out to eat. (laughs) We've all got opinions. Nobody will express them until somebody else says, well, let's go here. Oh, no, I don't like that. But anywhere else will be fine. Well, okay, how about this place? No, I don't like that one either. That's kind of family's not perfect. But you know what family is? Family. We are bound together. We will give anything, including our lives, for our family. Now, the other word that I want you to look at is father. Our father think about that knowing god you're living in the kingdom life and you want to live according to the way the kingdom is instructed to be lived and your father is the king you got you got her made right it's it's in to know that god is your father in a good context in a good sense should make that should be the end of the sermon. I I don't know that I need to say any more than that. But here's what I've what I've thought about. Some of you when I think when I say the word family or when I say the word father, it doesn't bring up a happy thought. Some of you may not have had the kind of father that you want to live forever with. I understand that. I understand That's that's why I spent just a few moments there talking about how family ain't perfect. You may have a father that wasn't perfect. And it may have scarred you for life. I understand some of you have that kind of thought when you hear the word father that it doesn't bring you warm fuzzies like it does me. My father went home to be uh, with the Lord in 2003. And I miss him. I miss having conversations with him. I would do anything I could just to have him back here. I say that, but I really want him to stay where he is and I'll go to him. But I'm just saying, I I was blessed that I had a good, strong, godly, Christian father. Some of you, I understand, don't have that. So you have to think about it this way. If you could choose any person or anything in the world what would you want to choose to be your father god's it the best you can imagine the best you can think of god as your father is on the throne and suddenly when since you're a child of the king when you come into his presence when there are other kings and other potentates and And ambassadors and representatives and armies that are before him. He stops what he's doing because his child's come into the room. And he turns his focus to you. What do you want to tell him? I just want to say hi, daddy. And you would bring a smile to his face. Our father, pray like you're you're in the family. Because since you're in the family, you got some pull with the king. Secondly, Jesus goes on and he says, uh, uh, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Pray in such a way that your life will protect the holiness of God. By the way, I read this model prayer in... Probably 15 different versions of the Bible this week. And I was looking at different ways of saying one of the versions says here, and I don't recall which one it was, it's it, it has the gist of pray, uh, don't let me do something to solely your name, to make your holy name unholy in the world. I want to pray that God's name would be lifted high and glorified not defamed because of the way I live. So if I have the attitude that God, I don't want to do anything to bring shame on your name, that'll change a lot of the things we do, won't it? When our kids, when Joe and Nathan came of age, that they were starting to go out on Friday evenings and Saturday evenings after the high school football games and basketball games and whatnot, They would go out and all of a sudden we we helicopter parents who had had authority or watchful eye on them all the time we weren't going to be around and we were going to have to trust our kids that we had taught them the right way to live and make making good choices and I remember telling my kids when they would go out on Friday nights and Saturday nights which was all that that just worried their mother and me because we knew some of the things that went on and I would tell them as I walked out the door I said just remember your name you're leaving this place with a good name make sure when you come back you're bringing back a good name don't do something that will solely the name that you have that's what the prayer means it says, hallowed be your name your name is holy and don't let me do anything to make anybody think otherwise. I started <coughs> this message off <coughs> or or the series of messages we talked about a, a hypocrite and how the world says I don't want to go <coughs> I don't want to go to church because hypocrites go there. <coughs> remember we talked about that that should be, that's what this is saying. Don't let me be a hypocrite and go out there and ruin your, your good, holy name, God. I need to live my life in such a way that I'm protecting and honoring your name. Then he, Jesus goes on and he says, your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And here, I think what he's saying as you pray, in living the kingdom life, pray in submission to God's sovereignty. <clears throat> God is sovereign over everything. That's not there's no qualifier on that. What's going on in Afghanistan today? God's sovereign over. What's going on in America today with all the nonsense or craziness or whatever it may be? God is sovereignly on his throne and in control. What I need to do is to submit myself to the will, the sovereign will of God in my life. You know what the problem is? Sometimes God wants me to do something I don't really want to do. Can I get a witness? Sometimes the will of God is there to tell me no and I don't like the word no sometimes the word is yes and I would rather God would say no it's hard for me to surrender my will to God but if I can understand he's already in charge it's not like you have to give up authority to submit to the authority Sovereignty of God. He's already sovereign. He's already in control. He already is calling the shots. And he can. It's kind of like. Welby. We can do this the hard way or the easy way. But we're going to do it. That sounds so much like my mom. She used to tell me. Welby you're either going to be a lawyer or a preacher. Because you'll argue with a brick wall. (laughs) Do you know what? God's sovereign will is going to be done. So I need to pray where I say, God, I don't necessarily like this. I don't necessarily want to do this. But this is your will. You've revealed that to me through your Holy Spirit. So therefore, I surrender my life to you in this area. That's how you start to live the kingdom life. The king's in charge. And you surrender to that going on next we need to pray knowing god's will will provide for every need you will have give us this day our daily bread very simple very easy to understand you don't have to be able to parse the greek words in order to understand what jesus is talking about there Pray knowing that God will provide for your needs. Here's our problem. We start listing the needs that we have when really they're wants that we have. Maslow psychology says that there's the, the hierarchy of, of needs in a person's life. The basic needs are food, clothing, and shelter. And the Bible says Before you ever ask, Jesus or God knows what you need. And he's already got the provision for your need. Our problem is, we're asking for provision for the next 10 years. Right? Instead of for our daily bread. There are several things we could just camp here a while. He's talking about asking for simple little things but only in the amounts that are necessary for life. I think that this, to to me when I read this and was studying it, that what it caused me to remember was the time in the wilderness when Israel was being um, led out of bondage in Egypt to the promised land, from the non-kingdom to the kingdom, if you will, and as they are going, they're on the way and they start getting hungry and they start wanting some of the unhealthy foods of Egypt and saying, God, Moses, why'd you lead us out here to die? We, we'd have any, as many of the turnips and beets and leeks and onions and garlic as we wanted when we were in Egypt. Wasn't probably true, but they said that. And here we are out here, and we don't have anything to eat. And uh, Moses says, "God, I don't know what am I going to do?" You know, and he tells them, he gives them the instruction. Says, "All right, here's where it's going to be. Tomorrow and every tomorrow after that, you're going to go out early in the morning. And you're going to find what is it all over the ground. That's the Hebrew word for manna. You're going to find what is it all over the ground, and..." And he describes what it's going to look like. And he says, now pick up this amount. Pick up so much that you you are to eat in that one day. Daily bread. Pick up enough for that day, but make sure whatever you pick up, you eat by the end of the day. Because tomorrow it's going to go sour. And you go out the next day and you pick up your daily bread. Now that will work every day until you go out on Friday." Because on Friday, what you're going to do is you're going to pick up enough for two days because I'm not going to send it on the Sabbath. That's a day of rest. And all the way through their time in the wilderness, God put, what is it, their daily bread before them. But he said, don't take enough for next week or next month or to store to squirrel some of it away for your retirement. I'll take care of you. And they trusted that every day, what is it would be out there? Jesus says, pray this way. Pray like they did in trusting that God will provide for everything you need. Everything. Every need you have, he will provide. Then it goes on. Jesus goes on. And he says, pray requesting that God will forgive you. It says, um, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Over in Luke's gospel, uh, in recording Luke chapter 11, the Lord's prayer, the parallel to this, he says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That always threw me off. When you go to a church that recites the the Lord's Prayer, Sue's church was that, and it was one of those kind of churches, and when we were dating, I'd go to church with her, and they'd recite the Lord's Prayer, and every time you come to forgive us our debts, some of the people there would say debts, some would say trespasses, some would say sins. Which is it? Well, it might help us if we understand uh, what the word debt or what the word debts in this case or sins mean there are five greek words that are used to translate sin in the in the new testament and these five greek words are variants not variants of one another but they are they have a variant meaning they don't all mean the same thing when we think of sin we think of sin but there are, but what kind of sin is it an intentional sin is it a willful sin is it a slip up in an error along the way? Because that's important because Jesus is going to say that it's important how how we ask God to forgive us that we also have to forgive others. What do I have to forgive them for? What if they've really, really done something bad to me? Do I have to forgive them then? I mean, this is the way the human mind thinks. Okay, let's not be so overly spiritual that... That we, that we believe that when I hear forgive, everyone says, oh, okay, I'll forgive. But not so-and-so. I'm not going to forgive them. They don't deserve my forgiveness. Isn't that, isn't that more human nature? So here, let me just tell you what the five words are, just so you'll get this understanding. Um, one word, peritoma. It usually translates trespasses. It's used out of verse 14 and 15. And it just simply means to uh, the sin of slipping or falling or uh, it's something of not paying attention. It's kind of carelessness. You ever done something that you knew you shouldn't, but you didn't really intend to. You just did it. Oops. That's one of the words for sin. Another word for sin is parabosis And parabosis refers to stepping over a line, to going too far, beyond the limits that are prescribed by God. And it usually is translated transgressions. This sin is more conscious and intentional than paraptoma. And also hamartia. Hamartia means to try and miss the mark, to fall short. I did my best, but I knew I didn't make it all the way through. Then there is the Greek word anomia, which means lawlessness. It's the—it's more intentional and more flagrant, and it's kind of like shaking your fist in the face of God. Oh yeah, try and get me. Okay, it's that kind of defiance. The word that's used here is the word Ophelema. And of the five words, it literally translates debts. It's the way that it was translated here. But what is it that you're indebted to God for? Oh, well, I've sinned and I have a debt of sin that I got to pay God for. That's why I go to church every Sunday. I'm still trying to pay God back. No, you don't have God. You don't have a debt to God for your salvation. That's by grace. All of it. You're not paying God back anything. You can't pay God back anything. But you know what the debt is that He's talking about here, and it's intriguing to me because this is not the word that that uh, uh, that Luke uses when he's talking about the debts, or the sins that I have, but it's the word that Matthew uses here in in, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, and I I thought, you know, he's trying to make an expression put into human words this spiritual con this, this spiritual idea, and that is that. There is a debt that I owe. The debt is not the payment back for what he's done for me, but the debt that I owe him is a debt of saying I'm sorry. Now, unknowing, we teach this to our children and our grandchildren. When you see two children playing and, and they're, they're playing with a toy, or one of is playing with a toy and the other comes over and takes the toy— Hits the other one over the head with the toy. And then there's crying that goes along. And the authority figure, mom, grandma, whoever goes over and tells the one who's done the wrong in that story. uh, Now, that was not good to do. You owe him an apology. Say it. Say, I'm sorry. Have you ever noticed how hard it is? Even little kids have a hard time saying I'm sorry. But he did this first. They had it coming. whatever, Whatever terminology. But eventually they'll say. I'm sorry. What Jesus is saying is. You owe God a debt of I'm sorry. Pay the debt that you owe God. Say. God I'm sorry. God I'm sorry that I didn't. Obey you. I'm sorry that I acted like I was the king instead of you. I'm sorry that I acted like I was sovereign instead of you. Will you forgive me? I don't deserve it, but will you forgive me? That's what he's asking for. Pray and request God's forgiveness. But do it understanding that you owe him an apology. Does that make sense? Then it goes on and he said, Jesus says, pray understanding that you need God's protection. He says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Some versions say deliver us from evil. Pray that you understand you live in a foreign world. This world's not my home. I'm just passing through. We shouldn't feel at home in this world. Okay, we should feel. If we're going to live for Jesus Christ, we shouldn't, we shouldn't feel at home. We should understand this is a temporary assignment we're on. But I'm on my way to my final place. And I'm not going to let anything deter me. But understand there will be some things that will try to deter me. So I need to understand these things are bigger and stronger and scarier than I understand them to be. But God can handle it. So God, keep me away from anything that will kick me off the path. Pray for, for God's protection. And then we see pray, pray and as you pray give God... The glory for all the answers. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Again, I mentioned to you earlier that the older manuscripts don't have that phrase in there, but I think it works, don't you? I think it fits. Do all of this stuff, but God, you get the glory for it, not me. I'm not praying that I can do these things so everyone will say, Wow, what an awesome Christian they are. But rather they would do like Jesus said in chapter 5, they'll see your good works and they'll glorify your Father who's in heaven. Now, you may notice that I stopped at verse 13 in our reading. And our text was to go through verse 15. This is the only part of this Sermon on the Mount where Jesus offers up a comment, a commentary. You see Jesus inserting an explanation that you need to understand. Look at verse, look at verse 14. If you forgive men their trespasses, they're unintentionally stepping over the border. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you of your trespasses. Once again, this is a misunderstood text statement that Jesus is making. He's not talking about salvation there. Your salvation is not based on, well, I want to give my life to Jesus, but uh, he says, well, you can't have it. You can't have eternal life until you first go over to that person that in, when you were nine years old, at the person showing you stole a piece of gum from them. Go make that right and do it. God doesn't put conditions on his salvation, on his grace, but he does put conditions on on his on his um, fellowship with you. You can't have you can have relationship with him, but you can't have a fellowship with him without having uh, expressed forgiveness toward those who've wronged you. You see, when it's when we wrong in our when we do something that's wrong, we usually have a reason for doing it. Right? And we'll be glad to share that with somebody who thinks that what we did, what we said, how we acted was wrong. And we'll explain to them, well, it's because of them. It's never our fault. It's always someone else's fault. Um, And so we we play this blame game. We put all the excuses as to why we can't do this. But God's saying, until you get rid of that kind of an attitude, You're falling short. You're going to continue to fall short of my forgiveness. So it's imperative that you learn how to swallow your pride and just say, I'm sorry. This goes back to that thing we said before, forgive us our debts. Say, I'm sorry for doing what I did. Don't explain all the reasons why you have to just do that because that's the attitude that God wants you to come to him with. You also have to have that attitude with those who come to you and ask for forgiveness and you know it just it just dawns on me that that uh, sometimes people will come to us for forgiveness and we don't want to forgive them we have lived so long with anger and hatred and bitterness toward them it's hard for us to forgive them am I right can't it sometimes become You know people, you probably have somebody in your family, not you, somebody else. But you hold a grudge, and you hold it, and you hold it, and you hold it, and you you don't think you can turn loose of it. Because if I do, then that means that if I forgive somebody, that means they're off the hook. When you forgive somebody, you're off the hook. And God deals with them. Don't get in between God and somebody that He's working on. You don't want that. So um, he says, so what he's saying here, and applying this to the to the study we're having, is as you're praying, what you're praying about is really where your heart is. Pray. Kingdom praying is praying about where your heart is. If my heart is for toward forgiveness of others. And I'll pray for them. God, this person wronged me. I wish that you'd forgive them. Did you, you remember what Jesus said when he's hanging on the cross after men had just driven nails, spikes through his hands and his feet? And he says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They were wrong, but forgive them. They don't understand what they're up to. They don't understand what they're doing. Pray about where your heart is. Now. We've been talking about in our study of the servant of the Mount that each Sunday, I would give you a key, a key to remember, an essential to understanding <clears throat> living in the kingdom. And today's key is with regards to prayer. And here's what I want you to know. The power of living the kingdom life comes through prayer. And Prayer flows from the believer's heart commitment to the authority of God. Power comes through prayer, and prayer comes from the believer's heart commitment, not his word commitment, but where his heart really is with regards to God's authority over their life or in their life. What is this what does this mean? What is this that I'm trying to say? <clears throat> is prayer is not about becoming more spiritual. Prayer should be an expression of my heart. And, the, and my desires to, to, to follow completely God's sovereign authority in my life. And his will. And my commitment to do that is reflected in the way that I pray the way that I pray about myself the way that I pray about others the way I pray about circumstances it flows from a desire in my heart to seek God first, to seek to, play, to make God first in my life if you want prayer to make an impact have power in your life you have to check your heart don't just check the box that says pray today Sometime in the morning, the evening, some, sometime stop, drop, and pray. But pray what's in your heart and make sure that your heart, is, what's in your heart is what's supposed to be in your heart. Okay? So that's what I, I want you to know about prayer and to take it um, into your life so that you can live this kingdom life in a world where it's almost impossible to live the kingdom life. He will give you the power as you change your heart and your are reflected by your prayers. Will you bow your head to pray with me, please? Father, today as we have studied not just the teachings of Jesus, but today as we've studied our hearts, and as we have looked at the attitudes that we have and the desires that we have and the forgiveness that we have and the submission that we have lord i pray that today we would be drawn to an understanding that living this kingdom life is a challenge it's difficult and it can only be accomplished as our hearts are set to you through prayer so lord teach us today how to be persons of prayer in the manner in which Jesus said we should pray. So Lord, in these next few moments, I just pray that you would have your way in our lives. Continue to speak to us, not only as we sing, but even throughout this day, and call us to be prayer warriors for your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen.